0: Everyone, uh, welcome. My name is Ben Fuquay. I'm the Life Stage Two Pastor at Christ Chapel, which uh, is really just a confusing way of saying I get to oversee the college and the young adult ministry at our church, and uh, and love what I get to do, and uh, specifically honored and, and humbled that I get to close out uh, this series with us in Jonah today on this podcast, and we'll wrap up uh, this book that we've been in for a couple of months now. Uh, it is bizarre uh, to think when we started this series we had no idea uh, that we would be finishing it recording sermons on our iPhones and closets and everyone listening to them in isolation in the world that we live in now Uh, but our God was not surprised by that and has not been surprised and our God is in control and uh, and so here we are uh, wrapping up Jonah uh, on this podcast and uh, we we love you guys and we miss you all a ton and we pray for you guys a, a lot. Uh, we hope you're doing well and uh, just want you to know that even as we wrap up this sermon series and this being our last uh, sermon for the spring that we're still here and we're still available to you guys and we'll be around this summer uh, if you want to reach out to us we'd love to we'd love to connect with you and we're excited about uh, working hard this summer to prepare for what we hope will be uh, as you guys return, uh, our ability to walk alongside you in the fall and and make disciples and and really excited about kind of doubling down on what that looks like and, and going deeper in not only how we make disciples and pour into you guys as as people who are maybe trying to pursue Christ in college but also how we try to reach those who are far off and so that'll be a big focus of ours and uh, if you haven't heard. Uh, in the fall, when, when we get back to school, when we anticipate everyone comes back to school, uh, we will be in the Common Grounds coffee shop. So the Aardvark is moving on without us, and they're going to rent that space to some other people, and so we're losing the ability to to meet there. Uh, but we literally are moving 20 yards away to this big, new, awesome coffee shop, uh, Common Grounds. It's going to be a coffee shop and concert venue, and uh, we'll have this whole building, and uh, it'll be a really sweet thing and excited to see how God Uses it, so we're excited to get to worship again with you in there, uh, whenever, uh, whenever is safe and whenever is allowed. Uh, okay, so let me jump into Jonah. Uh, Jonah is such a gnarly book, and it has been such a gnarly book. He is a bizarre prophet. Let me just quickly summarize where we're at at this point and kind of what's happened because it is not a very typical story that we see with the other minor prophets in the Old Testament. Uh, Jonah is a prophet. God shows up to him, says, hey, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to preach uh, of my incoming wrath because they are so far from me. And Jonah gets that call from God, and he goes the exact opposite direction. And he gets on a boat and tries to get as far from God's call as possible. God chases him down, sends a storm. The boat's overwhelmed. Jonah functionally talks the sailors into throwing him overboard because they realize he's the problem Gets thrown overboard, starting to sink to the bottom of the ocean, hitting rock bottom. God sends a fish to swallow him. And in the belly of this fish, Jonah cries out and is like, what am I doing? What am I doing? Why am I running from you? Um, and, just, and he hits rock bottom. And the fish, after three days, vomits him out. Jonah gets up, I'm assuming on a beach, brushes himself off, walks into uh, Nineveh, this town full of wicked, horrible, horrible sinners, uh, and preaches probably the laziest sermon I have ever heard, right? He's, he's called to preach this very specific sermon by God, and he just walks into the town and says, you guys are toast, right? Like, you guys are toast, God's wrath's coming, you're screwed. He doesn't preach mercy, he doesn't preach uh, a path to repentance, he just walks in and preaches the laziest sermon ever, uh, and miraculously, uh, God stirs in people's hearts and the people in Nineveh, the, the Assyrians there in that community, they get moved and they get moved by, I believe the spirit of God. And they think, oh my goodness, we are living contrary to God. God's wrath is going to wipe us out if we don't make some serious changes. And so the king of, of Nineveh says, guys, we got to make changes. And there's repentance and there's grieving over their sin and there's a uh, change and there's real remorse that they have been living in such a wicked way, contrary uh, to how God would want them to live. And there's this um, kind of brokenness that the the city of Nineveh undergoes. And then God says, hey, I see it. I see your brokenness. I see your humility, and I'm going to save you. I am not going to bring my wrath. And when chapter three ends in Jonah, honestly, if it ends there, it's just a sweet story, man. Make a Hallmark movie about it. How great is that? yay, Jonah preached it and everybody got saved and they all changed their lives and good ending, but it doesn't end in chapter three. It goes on to chapter four and chapter four is so bizarre because chapter four is Jonah, a prophet of God who is pouting because he's angry that God saved these people who have repented. Uh, He is honestly just ticked. And he is upset at God that God saved him. And he even yells back at God, I knew you were going to do This This is why I didn't want to come. I knew you were going to be merciful. That's the kind of God you are. You're this merciful God. And I knew if I came and I preached this message, you would have saved him. And this is exactly what I didn't want to happen, God. And it reveals a major, major heart issue that Jonah has. Some incredible bitterness where he wanted these people to be wiped off the face of the earth. God relents, saves them, and he is not happy about it. And so that's really where we're at. Um, and we're going to finish out the book with verses 5 through 11 in chapter 4. I'm going to back up just to give you some context. Uh, functionally, as he's, as he's throwing a fit, verse 4, the Lord says, do you do well to be angry? Basically, God looks at Jonah and says, well, <laughs> what is your deal? Why are you angry? What's, why, why is this productive for you to be angry? And then I'll pick up in verse 5 and read through verse 11. Uh, This is what it says. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. That is how the book of Jonah ends. It ends with God relenting his wrath from a people who have um, turned from their wickedness and the prophet Jonah throwing a fit, leaving the city angry and going and pouting on the hillside to watch to see, okay, what's really going to happen to the city? Is it really going to get restored? Are they going to slip back into their sin? Is God going to wipe them out? And he sits there. And then God brings this plant and and God shows him this illustration. He gives him this plant that provides some shade. And Jonah's like, okay, I like this shade. This is a great plant. And then God takes that shade away and wipes out the plant and sends this, this scorching east wind and this sun that beat down on him. And it reveals in Jonah that Jonah is happy and grieved by a plant that showed up for a day and was a blessing to him. This this living thing that popped up and was a blessing to him for a day and then wiped out. And God is teaching him this lesson here of who are you to be sad and upset about a plant that shows up one day and is gone the next when I the Lord should pity a great city where there's all this human life and creation and and sustenance and and who are you? And so and so the book ends really without a lot of resolution on Jonah's part. We don't know really what happens in Jonah's heart. And we don't really know uh, if he gets it. Um, I would assume he gets it. Uh, I hope he gets it. Um, but the book is left with us hearing God's perspective. And so what I want to do is I just want to point out two big truths from this passage. I want to point them out and drag them in front of you. And then let you wrestle through what do you do with these two truths. Um, Because the reality is there is um, bitterness in Jonah's life. He wasn't upset with the Ninevites for no reason. He was upset with the Ninevites probably for really good reason. And we talked about this in, in past podcasts and sermons on Jonah. They were an awful, wicked people. There's a good chance that Jonah had lost friends and relatives and loved ones and, and maybe even people of an older generation, like his grandfather's generation, would tell stories of, of just loss from the Ninevites and the kind of torture that they did to his people, to the Jews, as enemies of the Jews. And so he has really valid reasons, I'm sure, of why he hates these people. But God knows that. And God is aware of all of the horrible things that these people have done. And yet what we see here is this dumbfounding mercy of God that is applied to wicked people. And God gives us perspective here. And I think to hold on to this truth and to bring this in front of you, understanding that this mercy of God, that he would see a wicked, awful people and in their humility, he would then save them and he would not destroy them, and he would not give them what they deserve, and he would give them mercy, and he would give them grace. That is this dumbfounding concept that doesn't make sense to Jonah, and Jonah's not there. And so if that's the God that we have, if we serve and follow a God who has this mercy towards people that just doesn't make sense, what do we need to do with that? And more specifically, who do you need to apply that to. Who in your life do you need to forgive? Who in your life do you look at their life and say, no way, you don't root for their successes. You don't want to see God bless them. You don't want to see God help them. You don't want to see the world help them. You want them to pay for what they've done, you want them to hurt, you want them to be lonely, maybe in extreme cases, maybe in subtle cases, I, I want us to read this passage and check our hearts to say, man, where, where is there bitterness and forgiveness that's unresolved in our own lives? Now, where are the people uh, or the situations that we just have had a hard time forgiving? And let me be super sensitive here because um, I know some of your stories and I know some of what has happened to you And what has been done to you and some awful pain and grief and loss that you've experienced at the hands of sinful people and broken, sinful people. We have a God who looks at sinful, broken people and in a dumbfounding way that doesn't make sense to us, offers mercy to those who would turn back. And so my challenge is not to make light not to make this sound like an easy process, but to instead challenge you to say, if this is our God's grace, what baby steps do you need to take to emulate that in your life? Holding on to bitterness and anger is exhausting. It's not even about them, it's about you and, and the exhausting life and journey of holding on to bitterness towards people that we have a God who says that he is capable of forgiving them and their offense towards God is even greater. Um, and so I realize that is a massively challenging concept um, and that's not an easy thing to do for a lot of us. Um, but I think we can't walk away from Jonah and the perspective that God challenges Jonah with without likewise saying, okay, this dumbfounding mercy, who do I need to forgive? Uh, I um, My cousin's oldest daughter, was uh, kidnapped uh, about uh, eight weeks ago. Uh, She was in New Mexico, living in New Mexico. She was real involved in her church. On a Saturday evening, she went up to a church uh, to prepare uh, for her Sunday school lesson that she was going to teach the next Sunday morning. And a a random random man kidnapped her, Um, saw a single woman by herself in a parking lot and kidnapped her. And um, her body was found uh, about a month ago and she was murdered. And I sat at her funeral two weeks ago, and I listened to her pastor who knew her well. She babysat his kids. They were uh, a close-knit community. I listened to him uh, not only honor her, but I listened to him preach a sermon where he prayed for justice, but he also prayed that this man, who hadn't been caught yet at the time, would not only find justice in the law but also that he would find mercy and grace from God through this. And I watched as her dad and her mom sitting in the front row nodded in agreement to a sermon at a funeral of a woman who was 27 years old, whose life was taken from her by a random kidnapping and murder. And this man stood there and preached that that perpetrator would come to know Jesus through this and would come to know the grace and life change that comes from a redeeming God. Um, Not that he would be off the hook, but that he would spiritually be cleansed. And and seeing a family affirm that at their daughter's funeral, um, that's dumbfounding. That is the God we follow. Who in your life... Do you need to take baby steps towards forgiveness? Not rooted in if they deserve it or if they earned it, but rooted simply in the idea of this God can forgive. And I'm tired of carrying this bitterness. Um, that's a weighty thing, but I think it's something that God's put before us all. Uh, and then the last thing I want to leave you with is the same truth. God's mercy is dumbfounding. And so let me ask you this question. Are you aware of how much you have been forgiven? Not just who else do you need to forgive, but also I want you to spend some time even moving into this summer realizing that dumbfounding mercy of God is not just applied to that sinner who's far out there. It has been applied to you because 1 Corinthians 6 tells us uh, it gives us this list of all of these sinners who will not inherit the kingdom of God and all these different sin patterns. But then in verse 11, it says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. You have been shown the mercy of God. No matter how far you've wandered, no matter how far you've gone, God understands the depths of your sin more than you ever could, and He has still forgiven you in Christ Jesus. Uh, And so, are you walking in that? Not just do you need to forgive someone else, but do you need to forgive yourself? Are you holding things against yourself and living in a condemnation that the God of the universe doesn't even hold against you because of the grace of Jesus? We love you guys. We love you. We hope that you will never forget the gospel, and we hope that you will run radically towards a God who is merciful. And who loves you right where you're at. And who forgives you right where you're at. And that that love and compassion will compel us to love others in a radical way. God bless you. We'll see you around.